in the name of God the, God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, in the name of the one who was, who is and who is to come, I greet you. Good morning, saints. Good morning, Good morning sinners. Yes, as always, we've got a majority here today. It is, it's always a pleasure to be uh, over here, as our family knows this uh, part of the world. It's a whole new world at Williamstown. It was be, uh, the words are a part of our family mythology. Uh, and, and it is always a pleasure to not only be in the environs of Williamstown, but to be here with this particular church family, uh, which I've connected with on and off over um, a few years now. Some of us uh, love a bargain. Some of us love a bargain, Frank. Um, Boxing Day sales... Summer sales. In fact, I think this shirt might have even come from a summer sale. Uh, End of financial year sales, you name it, sales. We can't sell anything sales. They seem to be having sales all the time. We love the price sticker on the label that shows a marked down price. Don't we love it? Particularly if it's in one of those upmarket places. It's a gorgeous thing to see. In the old days, of course, the new price was written, was handwritten, and there was a text to strike through of the old price, and a new price would be, uh, would be written on it. Uh, and uh, these days, of course, we might need to lift the label to see what the old label was, the price was underneath, um, what the original price might have been. Inev- inevitably, it feels good. Uh, it's, the higher the original price, the better it feels, of course. We got a bargain. How amazing. It's fantastic. Whether we needed, needed it or not, we got a bargain. And that, I must confess, is a part of the problem I have when I go supermarket shopping, which I have been doing a fair bit of in the last year. Um, I have a system. My wife doesn't have it. Anyway, that's another whole story that we were going through of a challenging therapy session yesterday together. Um, but, but, you know, you get these bargains. It's just, anyway, you, none of you know what I mean, uh, but I get caught by that sometimes. Sometimes life the choices that we make or the ones that are made, the choices that are made for us or around us or at other times, just what happens, circumstances, if you will. Give us a personal markdown label. And we move and travel through our being for a little while with um, a markdown, a personal markdown label. And while there can be a tinge of reality um, sometimes, grim or otherwise, in the label that we might have or been given or have discovered, there are also many untruthful labels that seem sometimes to really stick to us. I noticed that as a 66-year-old man, that in the media I would most likely be described uh, as a person, as an elderly man. I'm only 66, goodness gracious, mate. Doesn't everybody know that you work until you're 67 or 8 or whatever it is these days? And um, the definition of elderly is not like that at all. And I get a little bit antsy when I see a 63-year-old man, much younger than me, described as an elderly man. I also, of course, there's um, an element of truth in it. I am 66. But there is still this other tinge uh, attached to it um, that's a little bit different. I also notice, as a person who's working out what it means to follow Jesus in these crazy days of the 21st century, that I could on the one hand be described as a church-going Christian. Or on the other hand, I could be described as a right-wing religious zealot or fundamentalist. Because I turn up at church on Sunday. There are facts 
and there are labels. Facts and there are labels. As you reflect on the story of your life, have you ever been given one or more marked down labels? The good news of the Jesus narrative, the Christian salvation saga, if you will, is that through personal faith in the work of Christ, his death and his resurrection, uh, and through the compassionate acceptance of other faithful people, we are given the courage and the capacity to lift the sticker to see God's original estimation of us. The original estimation. Without returning, and I would not in any way seek or desire that you would return, so without returning to a potentially painful former place, a personal place of the past, an address where uh, you no longer live, even if a shadow possibly still remains, can you just for a moment imagine the words or the image that there might have been for your markdown label? I don't want you to write any words on this. I don't want it. Just imagine a label, a markdown label that you may have received. For some of us, there might indeed be a shadow of that still. For some of us, indeed, it might still be quite present. Or it might have just reappeared in this last week or two or three because of some circumstances that we found ourselves in. I can say with confidence... And this is the words that you would have heard as we've gathered together today and as we've sung about. I can say with confidence that we are here together today to share and to celebrate an alternative counter-narrative, an opposite view to that markdown label. So if you can, if you'd like to, keep that tag in your hand or if you feel more comfortable, you might like to place it on the seat next to you or in that little space in front. But... If you can, just hold it, because it could well be a tool for our conversation uh, as we continue today. Today's text is, um, it could be said that it's a little bit about labels, markdown labels, um, indeed, as well as another label. So we're going to hear it now. I think Alan's going to bring that reading to us. Uh, It's from the message, it's from Ephesians 2, and it's going to be up there on the screen as well. And today's reading is from Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22. But don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's ways had no idea of any of this, didn't know the first thing about the way God works, hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel, hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Now because of Christ dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. The Messiah has made things up between us so that we are now together in this, both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall that we used to keep each other at a distance. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with the fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals, and so made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. 
He's using us all irrespective of how we have got here and what he is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. So um, the theme, of course, today is a new family, but I've rather cheekily um, um, subtitled it No Labels, No Labels. Um, So here are the words and phrases um, that uh, the labels or the ideas that we find in this text that starkly describe division and alienation and the deprivation of privileges for some of the people that are created in the image of God. Outsiders. And that means that there were are, and are insiders. It's, nothing, it's not pleasant to be an outsider when you know that there's insiders. Um, and we, we know how that feels. Know nothings is another putting a couple of words together in the text. You know, and maybe we've been called a know nothing. Maybe we've been called dumb or thick or brainless at some stage in our life. A very politically incorrect book that I had as a kid was about Epaminondas. Does any, anyone ever? No, no, it's very quirky and eclectic from up home in Mildura. But Epaminondas, uh, African-American, it's got all kinds of African-American language. It just wouldn't be acceptable today at all. But anyway, um, Epaminondas, um, in each of the stories, and there's a whole series of them, in each of the stories, his, his mama says this to him, Sakes alive, you ain't got the sense you was born with. You won't even have, never have the sense you was born with. Now, it's possible that some of us may have even thought that of somebody or maybe possibly even said that of somebody or we've received that, those words ourselves on our markdown label. Clueless is another word that was in the text. Just having no idea at all. Oh, no idea. Like a football team that is beaten by 130 points. I can remember a lot of those games. <laughs> Having And my friend from Sydney, we were watching Richmond play Adelaide on the TV in Sydney and um, he looked at me, who, he knew nothing about Australian rules, but he said, oh, rugby league or some other funny thing, and he said, oh, they have no idea at all. Markdown label. And the rather obvious one in the text, the non-Jewish outsiders and the Jewish insiders. And this cuts to the chase in this particular part of the Bible and this particular part of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Here is the core issue. It is humanity being defined by race and culture and religion. It is racial and religious discrimination, if not vilification. It's like Saul, who would later become Paul, persecuting people, choosing to follow the way of Jesus. It's like... Um, the division, if not the hatred, between Protestants and Catholics when I was a kid. Maybe when you were a kid as well. And it's the marginalisation of people who hadn't gone or weren't able to go to the war uh, in the soldier settlement town where I grew up. Another word in the text, um, markdown label, animosity. That needs no explanation really to any of us, does it? Um, nor does another word in the, in the same verse in the text, suspicious. Or suspicion. Another word, hostility. Yes, there was a rigid separation in those times between the the parties that are involved. It was evidenced by aggression, by belligerence, by enmity, by malice, by resentment, by bitterness and by prejudice. Do we see any resemblance of those words in our world today? 
Another word was the word exiles, outcasts, the banished ones. And just maybe refugees on islands or in detention centres. Strangers, which of course can be a nice word when people are welcomed as guests and visitors or otherwise as here as aliens and foreigners. It's a word of separation. Maybe for you, what you imagined imprinted on the tag connects with one or other of these that are named in this text that I've drawn out. At a feeling or an emotional level, past or present, let alone the words that stung or maybe still sting are from some long ago or recent experience around those words. And so if you were to be asked, how does it feel? How does it feel to be a complete unknown with no direction home? You, we will know how it feels. These are some of the labels, some of the marked down labels, if you will. But in the text, those, those labels are, are rather dramatically overcome by the facts of a counter story. Indeed, they are completely overwhelmed by this life-giving counter story. It lifts the marked down sticker uh, for the letter's recipients and for us to see and to feel and to return to live in accordance with God's original estimation of us through faith in Christ, reclaiming that estimation that God loves us. That God loves us. The recipients of the letter no longer live at that earlier address of that marked down label, of that separation. Indeed, at the start of the letter, even at the start of the letter, before Paul does this little recitation in the middle, at the start of the letter, they are called, they are named as faithful Christians. Saints, indeed, a people in Christ. Much of Ephesians is about power. And identity. No much more uh, than this particular section. The letter describes uh, how to be the church, how to be followers of Jesus, and how to welcome and to include other people. Uh, and in, in, a, in a complex cultural environment that's located in a bustling city, as Ephesus was, as our world is as well, with many competing values, many competing beliefs and customs, so much like our own day. While scholars might suggest that uh, the letter to the Ephesians is uh, possibly a more general letter to non-Jewish believers through uh, the, the region, uh, the southwestern uh, Asia Minor region, region, it can and should be identified with Ephesus, the most important city in that region, a place where the Apostle Paul spent two years, as described in Acts 18, 19 and 20. For Ephesus, complex city as it was, with temples to this and to that, and a whole lot of competing politics and, and trade deals being done and going on roundabout. For, for Ephesus, that place, flowing from the commissioning of Matthew uh, 28, going to go into all the world, and to proclaim the good news and the promise of Acts 1.8 that the spirit, the power will come on you and enable you to do that. Christianity at Ephesus took another leap, a big step away from just being just another Christian, uh, not just another Jewish sect into becoming something more indeed. It will do us good, therefore, to see and to hear and to, can I say, feel the contrast words or phrases of the counter story in this part of the text. 
In verse 13, it talks about um, because of Christ. It's his work, and that was uh, particularly picked up in uh, verse 10, an earlier passage that might have been looked at on another week. But it's his work, it's not ours. We exist and we grow as a result of the loving embrace of the Father, the saving act of Jesus the Son, and the ongoing empowering work of the Holy Spirit. We're now in on everything. We may not know everything, but we are no longer know-nothings. We're no longer know-nothings. We're together. There's alignment and there's integration between all people because all people are created in God's image. The wall has been torn down. There's no more division. There's no more separation between races and cultures. And the clogged law code repeal, that old law of Moses, is fulfilled by a new law of loving God and loving people. A new kind of human being beyond racial or cultural labels. A common humanity, indeed a new family. It's a fresh start. The slate is wiped clean. The video has been erased, if you're wiped, if you like. The hard drive has been purged. Embrace. Oh, what a word. That over, just completely oversteps separation and division. Last Sunday at afternoon I participated in the commissioning of the minister at one of our churches and Vaynard is um, Afrikaans, um, white South African with roots deep in a particular way of living in South Africa, South Africa uh, and um, uh, the guy, it, they, they co-locate, this particular church co-locates with the Uniting Church and uh, just the week before the new minister at the Uniting Church was uh, inducted into his ministry as well, Paolo his name is, he is a black African. Oh, and what a gorgeous moment it was in that commissioning service when Paolo came forward to present a Bible as a symbol to Vaynard and they embraced. They embraced. Very, very powerful. Peace. Yes, and absence is another word there, uh, mentioned a couple of times. A peace for the insiders, peace for the outsiders. Yes, an absence of enmity, but even more than that, a wholeness and a completeness, a totality. Equals, equal access to the Father, a classless community um, with no first and second class followers of Jesus anymore. None of that. Sharing the same spirit, united by the spirit's creative activity uh, in each of us, we celebrate a unity in variety. Just look around you. Unity in variety. Home country, another couple of words. Such deep security when you feel you're on home ground. When you feel at home. I moved from Mildura in, uh, goodness me, 1971. But every time I drive in or fly in, something happens. It happened strangely and rather quirkily enough too in 1980 when we went, uh, my wife and I did a study course in in Jerusalem. And when we landed in in, uh, Tel Aviv at the airport and then travelled across the country, something else happened as well as it did in um, Cameron country in Scotland when we visited there um, a few years ago. There's just something about being on home ground. Our Indigenous sisters and brothers have a lot to teach us about land and space and country. Belong is another word that's there in the text. It's so important. I'll talk a little bit more about that um, in just a moment. And, And other words are all of us. You know, all of us. 
as Paul quite, well, not so gently maybe, roars at us in two companion texts from this one in Ephesians. In Galatians 3, he says, In Christ's family, there can be no division between into Jew and Gentile, slave or free, male or female. Among us, you are all equal. That is, we are all in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, The old labels we once used to describe or identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Greek, slave or free, are no longer useful. We need something larger, something more comprehensive than that. Here is a new family indeed, a new family, and we are all a part of this new family. So to be clear, and uh, to repeat if you will, uh, it's not what we do, it's because of Christ. That was the clear and unambiguous statement uh, a few verses earlier in in, in verse 10 of Ephesians 2. And it's repeated again in today's text, as I've indicated. That's why I'm so pleased, even to this day, to be a part of a movement uh, that is the the one that we're a part of, that is branded as Churches of Christ. We seek to be known by who we are or who we are becoming, if you like, uh, in Christ. Not by what we do or by what we don't do or the way that we do it or the way that we don't do it. Be it a mode of baptism or having a particular governance style or a particular Holy Spirit manifestation or not, uh, as others may be so branded. We simply say we are collections of people around Christ. Churches of Christ. Let me illustrate this rather simply and yet profoundly with these couple of diagrams. The first one is the bounded set. Some of you will have seen this before. And you can see there's quite a rigid circle around there. People inside, some are happy and some are well, they're there anyway. And people belong in a bounded set. People belong by staying close and by sharing the same qualities and preferences. They have those boundaries. Much energy goes into maintaining the boundaries to keep a sense of distinction from other, even though they might be similar. Groups. I remember when I was growing up, how could you really be a Christian if you spoke in tongues? But there was another group of people that roamed into town and took half our church's membership who said, well, you can't really be a Christian until you do speak in tongues. And then there are others who say, well, you know, it's got to be this form of baptism or another form of baptism. If you don't have this, well, you're not really on the inside. You're always on the outside. So this bounded set model is one that we, we, many of us might have grown up in and might still in some ways operate by rather subtly if we dig deep enough and look at some of the labels that we might have had applied or that we may apply. An alternative way of looking at that uh, is on the next one. It's a centred set, where people belong by seeking the kingdom and journeying closer to Jesus, who is in the centre, represented by the cross there. A distance from Christ does not matter as much as the direction in which we are heading. Do you see that? The direction in which we're heading. People who are close but are now moving away don't belong but may still be converted at some stage. And so that's why this, this stuff here on the wall is so important. It's belong first. And then we move into, into belief and then to bless. Under the bounded set, um, where really you've got to believe first and be, go through the processes. And then you, hopefully if you look like us and do what we do, you will also belong and you may well then be blessed. Well, it might be a blessing for others, but sometimes it's more about being blessed ourselves in a bounded set. 
centre to centre. Jesus in the centre. When I was a kid, a long, long time ago, deep in the last millennium, communion was regularly passed by me until, of course, for this is the way it was and the way we thought it always would be, until I was baptised. And whoever was serving, whoever the server was, just must have known because the plate would always be passed by me. I hadn't yet made my, in our old language, made my commitment. I hadn't made my good confession and I hadn't been baptised without making a judgement or a statement about that because that's the way it was and had grown up to be in the little church that I was a part of when I was a kid. Not, hear me, not making a judgement. That's simply the way it was. But inevitably, I grew up in a bounded set world. And that had an impact on my formation and development of my early days in terms of faith and spirituality. Today, as I just is evidenced by this here that's on your policy, if you like, your vision statement, today we invite people to belong first. And then over time, to believe in the way of Jesus and the transformation of behaviours and values will follow as the Holy Spirit does his work, chipping off some things and adding other strong points for those areas that we're lacking and we need him to be at work. And it's from that space that we're then able to do the same for others, to bless others from this position of belonging and then believing and blessing. That's why for me, um, the Lord's Supper is such an important activity for me. It reminds me that I am who I am, sometimes slowly. I am who I am becoming because of Christ, because of his death, his blood shed and his body broken for me and for us and for all people. And, of course, his resurrection. And, of course, in our tradition, despite my childhood experience, communion was always designed in our tradition to be an open table an opportunity for all to respond to this counter-story that we've celebrated uh, today in some words. A table where anyone can come. Church where anyone can come to. A table where anyone can come. A safe place to receive grace and forgiveness, to lift that mark-down sticker on the tag and to see and be reminded of and to celebrate God's original estimation of us. Indeed, to celebrate that we are no longer captive to an old story and that while we may not yet be who we will be, we are no longer who we used to be or who we were or what we were made to feel to be. Can you please pick up that tag again? Earlier I asked you to imagine uh, some words uh, or an image of a personal Markdown label imprinted on it. And some of you may have been able to do that. But of course, I only asked you to imagine it. It's still, it's unmarked. Look on both sides, there's nothing there. It's clean, it's clear. As we move into this time of the Lord's Supper and of communion, just notice that clear, unmarked. There are no marked down details. For the fact is, what about the labels? The fact is, through Jesus' death and resurrection, the old has passed. With its labels, the slate, if you will, has been wiped clean and the new has come. For if anyone is in Christ, 
He is a brand new person. Brand new person. As we participate in Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup today, for some of us here, it might actually be a time, another time, um, or a first time, of releasing or letting go of some a markdown label or two. Or others of us, it might simply be a reminder, how good are you, God? How good are you for releasing me from that back then? And so we, we participate in the eating of the bread and the drinking of the cup with joy, each of us coming for a new time, a renewed time, or just coming again to connect. And in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul, that is the other Paul, of course, um, something here, says this. Let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instruction from the Master himself and passed them on to you. The Master, Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body broken for you. Do this to remember me. And after supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, Remember me. What you must solemnly realise, he says, is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. And you'll be drawn back to this meal again and again and again and again and again until the master returns. And so as we are drawn yet again to this meal today. The slate is clean. Let's pray. Gracious, generous God, thank you for your gift of love in Jesus. Thank you that you put on human clothes and lived and moved among us in an amazing manifestation of grace and mercy and storytelling and healing and renewal and refreshment. Thank you that you, your plan included the death of your son. You in human clothes on the cross for us. We thank you that the, for the impact that that broken body and shed blood has on us, even today, as well as other moments in our story as we come and arrive at today. Thank you that as we come and eat this bread and drink this cup, for the first time or for the 989th time or whatever, we come knowing that the slate is clean. And so we ask you through your spirit to renew and refresh us as we eat and drink together. We pray in Jesus' name.